Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome back to Small Market Startup. And this week, I am interviewing Jamie Seglars, the founder of Guild Talent, a recruiting firm specializing in helping place great top-level talent inside top organizations. So even though this isn't a normal tech startup, uh, we had a great conversation about the overall market for talent, how different companies think about work and life, and how Jamie and his team go about providing value to the companies they work with and the individuals that they help every day. So even though I mainly focus on tech and you know SaaS companies and software companies, I think there's so much to be learned from starting up any kind of business. One of the main reasons I started this podcast in the first place was to give anyone listening some stories of success from people starting their own thing, um, whether it's a traditional software company or not. And in that vein, I learned so much from listening to Jamie's origin story, how his business has grown, and why he moved from the Bay Area to our uh, big little town of Bend. Well, hope you enjoy, and let's dive into the interview. You're listening to the Small Market Startup Podcast, where I interview founders, VCs, and other stakeholders in startup land to explore the dichotomy between quality of life and success when trying to grow a company from zero to, well, infinity. My name is Kyle McLeod, and I'm a product consultant in the startup world. And as I go on my own journey of consulting with startups and starting my own businesses, I'm learning from some amazing people what it takes to create a thriving startup while focusing on family, quality of life, and mental health. If you're in the process or even thinking about starting a business and you care about these things too, this is the podcast for you. You can find me at Cloud99 Consulting, and I'd love to hear your thoughts or if you or someone you know would want to be on the show. All right, let's get to work. All right, hello, welcome back to the show. Um, today on Small Market Startup, uh, we are talking to Jamie Seglars, who is the founder and uh, CEO, owner, whatever, of Guild Talent. Uh, so according to the website, um, places some top leadership roles uh, with top talent. Um, so just based on your website, executive search and leadership hiring for venture and PE-backed companies. Sounds interesting. Uh, welcome, Jamie. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks for being on. Um, so first off, how'd you get into this? Uh, I fell into it ass backwards. There's a, in recruiting, it's a very common thing. No one, no one's 12 years old talking about, you know, how they, they want to get into recruiting. It's not the a, dream job. Yeah, it's not the, it's not the thing that people think of when they're growing up. Um, I am, so I'm 37 years old. I graduated college in 2008, right at the absolute depths of the housing crisis. Yeah. Uh, and I, my, my roommate's girlfriend was a receptionist at a recruiting firm. Uh, and she literally came home and said, these people seem like they're having a lot of fun and they're all sort of cut from the same cloth you are, Jamie. And they've got this, um, there's a sort of personality trait of, you know, wanting to be out in front of people and that sort of stuff. It's typically the sort of like type A personality people. Uh, for sure. And she thought I would fit along well with them. And so I went and applied and it was the only job that I had, uh, that I had offered in the doldrums of 2008, um, housing crisis and off we went. So, uh, well, you've definitely made the most of it. <laughs> necessity is how I found it, I guess. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, like I said, you definitely made the most of it and, uh, you know, turn this into a great career. Um, but yeah. so take me through just a little bit. Um, you know, how'd you get from, this is my only job offer and, uh, let's just try this out all the way to starting your own company. When did that start? Yeah. Um, 
The, the interesting thing that happened, I, I worked in recruiting at two different firms in my 20s for like three or four years each. Uh, and I was second guessing myself that I want to build a career in recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a bunch of friends that that same type of personality, this sort of money motivated sales type of person. Um, a typical career path is to get out of recruiting and um, a bunch of my peers were getting into tech sales. Hmm. Uh, so I did that. I left recruiting and went and tried my hand at tech sales and absolutely despised the idea of like sitting on a demo over and over again, pitching some technology product that I didn't give two cents about. Um, and so I like left and came back. Uh, and the realization that I, uh, came to when I left was that I rather enjoyed and was good at the sort of like matchmaking process. And aside from being good at it, it felt good when it's like, we're not saving the whales, but we're certainly like helping people and bettering their careers and adding value to our clients. And, um, that was more than I could say from selling some tech product. Um, for sure. at least my opinion of that, that's not true for everybody. Um, depends on the tech product too. It does depend yeah. on the tech product. There's yeah. a lot of tech out there that you're just yeah. trying to get off the shelf. Yeah. It's the, uh, you know, the perfect Silicon Valley TV show, you know, we're changing the world through middle out double layer, whatever. It's like, <laughs> of course you're not. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I started in 2008. I had a couple of stints at a couple of firms, sort of pressure tested whether or not I was good at it or whether I liked it, whether I wanted to build a career in it by leaving, um, which I guess distance makes the heart grow fonder and um, ultimately realized that it was a place I wanted to spend spend my career. Uh, I simultaneously um, had built this like sort of little network of people around myself over those years. Um, and so when I decided to start my own firm, sort of had this stability of this, um, Rolodex or network or community or whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, that I was very fortunate to have my back and, um, support me and were my initial first couple of clients and we've been building for four years now. So, so far so good. So was that kind of the impetus for starting your own firm? You, you felt like you had this kind of support system already built in and, uh, gave you the confidence to do it? Yeah, you know, it's it's different than starting a tech company, right? Like you don't need to go squirrel yourself away for two years to, to create an MVP. Uh, it's a professional services business. So the first thing that matters right out of the gates is like, well, before you, you don't need to build an MVP, what you need to, to start your first business is you need your first client, right? Yeah. Um, and so I, I remember when I was working for this other firm before jumping off on my own, I sort of went on, I made a list of the, you know, 50 or 75 people that, that I trusted, that I valued their opinion. And I just went on a sort of roadshow to those 75 people and said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Um, thinking about starting my own firm. What do you think? And you get a bunch of people that have varying degrees of that's awesome. I'm proud of you. Congrats. Good luck. Uh, and then that sort of turned into a couple of people saying, you know, I'm excited for you. When do you think you're going to do it? And finally I mentioned it to, it was my old, um, career coach, Nancy, who said like, if you're serious about doing this, I have a client that needs to hire a VP of finance. And like, if you're ready to go, let me know and I'll put you in touch. Uh, and so I, I went through my network and ultimately it was sort of validating and testing whether or not it was something I wanted to do or not. Um, and then out the back of that came not only a lot of validation and sort of building of my confidence, knowing that I've had this community that would like, I could rely on for mm-hmm. deal flow ultimately. Um, 
And along with building the confidence out of it came, you know, my first client. Um, and then once that intro came, introduction came, it was like, all right, well, shoot or get off the pot. It's like, we're going. So yeah. off you go. I mean, that's interesting. You say it's, you know, not like building a, a tech platform or a tech startup, but there's so many parallels in terms of, you know, your MVP is having that building this network, right? That that's really what the MVP is in your service industry. And you went out and did the market validation, which every tech startup should do before you actually even get into building the MVP. You know, you go out and you validate your idea, um, validate that there that you could have potential product market fit, that there is an actual market for your product, um, and then you know you put you put your feelers out, maybe do an MVP, do a prototype, start getting a couple clients, and and find product market fit. And that sounds like it's kind of what you did. Yeah, I mean, to your point, there is a lot of um, parallels of starting a tech company in that like I was I had a day job and I was doing my day job and then you know I was going on nights and weekends to have those conversations with my network to validate it um, and so there's you know just like whether you build if you are building a tech product you can have a day job and nights and weekends or when you're writing code and, and sort of doing all the rest of the things that need to get done to sort of lay the foundation so that when you do jump um, that you've got a little bit of, of that sort of pre-work out of the way, right? Like yeah. drafting contracts and building a website. Yeah, and absolutely. All that stuff, right? Was, were you able to keep it fairly resource, uh, I guess, not resource intensive, you know, keep it a kind of bootstrap to get started and just get those first couple clients without spending a whole bunch of money and... Yeah, you know, we, um, because of that roadshow that I went on, the first, the first client that I had came in and... Um, it's awesome in that we I was able to like focus ninety percent of my time on the work that needed to get done to make that one client happy. Yeah. But in that other ten percent, you can keep going on the roadshow and keep meeting more people and keep telling more people what you're doing. Um, and ultimately, that spat out a second and a third client. Um, and then I had this conversation with my wife that like you know I was gonna set aside a certain amount of money to like pay the bills until until things ramped up mm -hmm. uh, and my expectation was that that we would burn through that money um, and that the bank account would go down before it started going back up mm -hmm. um, and we we're very fortunate that the first couple of projects that we kicked off closed successfully and our clients paid quickly and um, and it it never dipped uh, anywhere near the like holy hell this is scary level which, okay. was, which was nice um, and yeah. And so, um, yeah, we did, I did a lot of the prep work up front and I think that doing that prep work up front then freed up my time that when we did ultimately launch and I did start needing to do delivery work for our clients and I needed to start networking now that I've quit my job and I don't have a salary anymore. It's like, I need to go find a second client, a third client, and a fourth client. So getting all that prep work out of the way freed up my time once I had jumped off the ledge and I was out of the trust tree um, to then not need to worry about building a website. I could just focus, all that crap's done. I could just focus on, you know, sales and recruiting. Those are the two things. Yeah. It's like two parts of our business. So it sounds like there's, there were a couple things that kind of convinced you to finally make the jump, like having that time spent nights, weekends, website contracts, like all the pre-work that you already knew you needed to do. And then getting those first couple clients um, kind of gave you the confidence. How, how many clients did you get through before you said, this is my full time, I'm putting everything into this? Oh, one. Nice. Yes. I mean, it was, yeah, it, 
when my old uh, career coach, Nancy, said like, hey, I want you, like, if, if you're ready to go, I'm going to introduce you to this client. It was like, well, you can't do that and keep your job. <laughs> that makes sense. Like, I, I was a little bit of conflict of interest. I was working at a recruiting firm. Yeah. Right. And so like, I can't, yeah, you can't take a side project that should, like, I, the only option was to quit and go do it. Yeah. And so it was like, we're going, you know, and that was it. Wow. So. That's a, yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely more of a full commitment than, you know, like I said, with a tech product, um, you can build that and still do your job and not as much of a conflict of interest. So, you know, maybe you can even validate and get a couple customers on there, get some revenue coming in before you actually have to decide to, um, you know, make that jump. Yeah. The, the benefit of it being a services business is that you have, um, it's a, it's a cash machine, right? It's like, there's, um, there's less investment in, in, uh, infrastructure and all that. And like your clients, you're not, um, you don't need to build up to a half million users before you can start selling ad space and monetizing it. Mm -hmm. Right. You don't need to invest in For sure. all this product market fit by hiring engineering, um, before your clients will start selling you. It's like, it's not meant to be a burn heavy, uh, business model, like a, like a tech business can be. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think the ability to jump out of the trust tree earlier, um, is different in this, in this instance, because you're, you should be receiving money in your first month, which is like very rarely the, the case for a tech. Company. Absolutely. Yeah. So for your first couple clients, I'm assuming like, you know, or and you even mentioned it, those, those first few were very, um, you know, a lot of referrals come in, one turns into three, three turns into 10, you know, goes from there. Um, but looking at your platform now, you obviously have a beautiful website, um, and you, you've really expanded those, these last four years, how long did you go just yourself and just working on referral business before you thought, all right, it's time to kind of take this up a notch. Yeah. Um, I'm a firm believer in hiring people to do things that they're better at than me. Uh, and I'm not good at very many things. And so that makes it really easy to hire people. Um, uh, so the short answer is probably a month or two into it. I had oh. hired, um, so I brought on that first client. I was doing all the work and a couple of weeks later, I probably had a job posting up to hire someone to help doing sourcing and research and list building and candidate identification stuff. Um, and that guy joined my team and, uh, worked with me for a couple of years before he had some health issues, but I hired him. Um, and then that freed up my time to, instead of be doing 90% delivery, I had this guy on my team and he was doing a bunch of, you know, the, the grunt work that goes into supporting our clients with their recruiting efforts which freed up my time to go do even more selling and more networking to bring on even more clients. Um, and the snowball has just sort of continued to build from there that, you know, once he was fully busy working on projects and we had a couple more clients that wanted to work with us. So go hire another recruiter to do more recruiting work and um, off we go. Now there's, I think probably 15 people in the company and it's uh, it's, yeah, it's no longer Jamie anymore. We have a we have a business we're running here for sure. That's awesome. Yeah. So where are they located? Everyone's remote, which is, you know, we're sitting here talking in Bend, and that's a big part of um, why I was able to come here is that uh, we've hired an entirely remote-friendly company. Um, there's 
geez, Arizona, Canada, um, someone in Madrid. There's a couple people in South America. Uh, there's two people in Oakland, um, someone in Nashville. They're all across the country. And then we've got a team of research analysts that are, um, that are all across the world. That's great. So you obviously had that philosophy from the beginning. Do you feel like focusing on that remote first philosophy has allowed you to hire the best people? Yes, I do think that there's uh, some of the companies that have gone through COVID and the struggles of starting as a in-office culture and then going remote that like we haven't had to deal with those hiccups, just always being remote first. Um, and I think there are people that are people that are more well suited to work in office and others that, you know, are better suited to work remote. Um, I can't, this is the one and only company that I've started and grown myself. And so I don't know um, what the other options are, but I do think that for, for the purposes of our business, that these people you know, are able to do their jobs anywhere. And my personal philosophy is that you get the most out of them if you give them the autonomy that they want. And so most people work from home, but there's a couple that like going into a, a WeWork or a co-working space because yeah. that's what fits them. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the other part of it for being able to hire the best team and, and keep the delivery work high, uh, I had been going into San Francisco pre COVID for, you know, three or four days a week. I was living just on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge in, uh, in the North Bay and I was going into the city a couple times a week. Uh, and then when COVID hit, I wasn't, I wasn't ever going into the city. And so the fact that I had an entirely remote company. Uh, and that I was just 15 minutes from the city, but I still wasn't going in. Um, I was very glad to then have a remote company because it, there was nothing holding me from needing to stay in the Bay Area if I wasn't going into the city anymore, which is why we moved up to Bend. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I was going to ask you. Um, I have a couple more questions for your, on your operating philosophy and team, but let's get into this. So why Bend? Like, how did you find this place? Uh we, we went on a family road trip last year up to Idaho, and on the way to Idaho, we stopped here to visit an old college friend of mine, and uh, everyone's got a different, I think everyone's, everyone's got a different happy place. Some people want to live in the city, some people want to live in the desert, some people want to live in the mountains, um, and so it's um, to each their own. Everyone can do whatever they want to do. The short answer is that we, when we stopped here on our road trip, it was the only place that my wife and I had ever both looked at each other and been like, holy hell, this is a cool place. We could live here. And so, again, some people would be some people would say that in Arizona. Some people would say that in New York. And it just so happened that this is, um, you know, I'm sure that it's similar to everyone else that moves here, that it's um, it's the outdoor lifestyle. It's work life balance. It's a smaller community. It doesn't have the sort of grindy feel that San Francisco mm -hmm. has. Um, and so it was very much a love at first sight, you know, when you see it type thing. Yeah. So we, um, we were on a road trip. We stopped here, uh, hung out for a couple of days. We actually cut our time short in Idaho so that we could stop back here on the way back to the Bay That's area. Awesome. Um, and then over the next year we had sort of talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. We have a four year old that, um, was, he's a year away from starting preschool and it was like, if we don't go now, we're going to sort of get sucked into the school system. Yep. We're never going to be able to leave. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so we had this sort of time pressure impending event that was, you know, on the, on the horizon a year out. And so we decided, um, forever we're going to go now's the time. Um, but the short answer is that we stumbled into it. We like, there wasn't, 
there wasn't a spreadsheet of places that we would potentially be considering going. We just drove here and liked it and said, here we go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm surprised at how many people actually have that same story. And there is a pretty even split. Some people are just like, they go through and check that off. And so many people just stumble onto this place. Kind of the same for me. I just stumbled on here and, uh, you know, ended up sticking. Yeah. I'm glad that we're here. I'll tell you that much. We, uh, it took us, well, we've been here for three months now and it probably took my wife and I a week to look at each other and be like, this place is pretty cool. I don't think we're leaving anytime soon. So, uh, <laughs> I definitely had the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So far so good. Well, that's awesome. So yeah, three months. So you, was that September? I think it was, yeah, September 1st. So just got the end of the hot weather and the, all the summer fun. Yeah, we did. We had like two weeks of awesomeness um, in shorts and tank tops, and then uh, it turned cold very quickly. Uh, and that was a bit of a surprise being a, being a California boy. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, we're assimilating to it now, but um, yeah, the shoulder season was a little bit interesting because it's like too cold to do anything outside, but there's not enough snow on the ground to go skiing yet. Yep. Um, and so we, you know, we're, we're suffering big time on the, uh, the bend gear tax and buying all the toys that we need to be able to, uh, you know, fully assimilate. Uh, yes, <laughs> there, there's definitely the gear tax, um, but, uh, more than happy to pay it. And, um, yeah, so far so good. I think that the, the idea of the idea of the gear tax, um, we were talking about this earlier is that you can do your job and not need to have it be the only reason that you get up in the morning. Um, and so I'm stoked to, you know, cut out of work at three o'clock today and to be able to go skinning or go do whatever the hell I want yeah. to do. Um, and I, you know, was born and raised in the North Bay and uh, in the San Francisco Bay area. And I love it for, you know, a bunch of reasons, but you don't realize that you're in this um i don't want to call it a rat race but you're like it's all consuming like all people do is talk about work it's it's like uh and you don't realize that you're getting absorbed into this way of life um until you've been in it for a decade yeah. uh, and so i'm happy to pay the beer the gear tax because it's a sort of like signal that i'm not just consumed with work which yeah. is a big reason that we're here yeah, I mean, I was going to ask is how much has being here changed your perspective on, like, even over the last three months, changed your perspective on that, your daily life, you know, and, and how you look at your kid growing up. And... Yeah. You know, there, there are these, like, multiple time, I'm not a tech guy. I don't, I'm not an engineer. I don't geek out over the latest code or whatever, right? Um and so surrounding myself with all of these uh, people in Silicon Valley that have that passion, mm -hmm. um, I don't like, I don't uh, see much of myself in them. Like mm -hmm. they're so obsessed with it. And I don't know whether it's because they're a workaholic or they're actually just really, really passionate about it. I hope it's because they're passionate about it. Um, but as it relates to my kids growing up, I, the reason I'm talking about these this sort of demographic of Silicon Valley workaholics is that like I don't align with the people that sell their company for a hundred million dollars and then go start another company. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I uh, and got nothing to do but work. Well, and I hope for their sake. I hope it's because they love it, not because not because they're workaholics or because yeah. they're obsessed with it, or because they don't have anything else to do. 
Um, to your question about me being here uh, and how it has changed my my life or my sort of work life balance or whatever you want to call it, um, because I don't align with that Silicon Valley persona of sell your company for hundred million dollars and then go do it again. Uh, I feel very fortunate to be surrounded by people here that are like of the mindset that like you can build your business, you can be a successful professional, mm -hmm. but you're allowed to, you're allowed to like have there be other things in your life that, um, that you do that, you know, you're talking about my kids growing up. Uh, it has been a remarkably good decision to have moved here to like, realize that they're that what i was saying earlier about being in the bay area that you're like stuck in this meat grinder but you don't realize that you're in it right yeah and so coming here uh similar to similar to my wife and i looking at each other a week later and saying we're never going back yeah it probably took about the same amount of time for me to you know like see that realization of like both like i can i can go mountain biking every day i can hang spend a shitload more time with my kids um, and my business will still continue to, to thrive and grow. Um, I think that there's a, there's an obvious correlation between, uh, if you're building a company, it doesn't matter whether it's a services business or a technology business, uh, that if you spend eight hours a week working on it, you will, uh, broadly, generally speaking, accomplish a little bit less than instead of spending, if you only spend eight hours, if you spend 80, yeah, you probably accomplish a little bit more, for sure. Uh, and so, the idea of getting out of the meat grinder is that uh, you're either going to be on one side of this or the other. You're either going to be in the meat grinder, and you need to force yourself out, or you can be out of the meat grinder, and then you can just work as much as you want to work. Yeah, but it, like I feel like uh, the answer about the work-life balance and what has changed with uh, my job or my working hours or the development of my company since being here, the answer is that like when you're not in the meat grinder, I can spend as many hours working as I want to accomplish however much I want to work. If I want to work 20 hours, I will accomplish whatever I'm able to work in 20 hours or whatever I'm able to deliver in 20 hours. And if I decide to work 40 or 60, then I will be able to spend more time accomplishing more. Yeah. But it's a choice that I'm consciously able to make. Whereas when you're in the meat grinder, you're not making that you're choice. You're not making that choice. That choice is being made for you. Do you ever find that you're actually more productive in the hours that you're working because it is that choice? Hey, I need to get this, this, and this done. I'm going to put my head down and do this because I know that I'm going to go take my kid to the park or go on the river or I'm going to go mountain biking. I'm going to do these fun things that I want to do that are going to make my life better. So these four hours that I'm working today, I'm going to knock you know, some crap out, like yeah. going hard and actually get more productive. A hundred percent. Um, I, uh, I'm a zero inbox guy. And so, uh, congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so checking things off of my list, getting them off of my plate, out of my inbox, um, is, is sort of my hard wiring anyways. It's mm. sort of like part of, part of my, how I know I'm done for the day is when I'd be there, you know, push something off to tomorrow that I don't need or want to do today, or I've checked all the shit off that I, that I do need to do today. Yeah. Um, it is certainly a, a big motivating factor that the, uh, you know, the live cam for Mount Bachelor is on in the office here in the <laughs> yeah. co-working space for tech center. And that like, uh, 
it's a good reminder, right? That like, you know, my wife's taken, taking the kids to some parade this afternoon and like get your stuff done so that you can go do that. Right. Um, and it's sort of a blessing and a curse of owning your own business is that sometimes shit happens that you have to deal with. And that's, you know, sometimes that happens, but you also then have the, um, flexibility and the autonomy to control your own fate and, and do what you need to do so that you can bounce out and spend as much time with the family or doing anything that you want to do other than work really. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you're, you're quickly getting, you're quickly becoming a, a Bendite and getting into the flow. That's what everyone, you know, does here. And, you know, double clicking on something that you mentioned earlier in terms of like, you know, the, the Silicon Valley, the Bay Area passion and all these tech people that are, that are so into it and so passionate about the tech and, you know, talk about work. What's interesting and that, I don't know if you've started to notice this, you know, being in, Bentech here, I'm sure you've met a lot of interesting people, but there are so many people that are those exact same people in a lot of ways. Like we have some incredibly, we have an incredibly big uh, tech sector here, like a ton of developers in Bend. And we also have a pretty big entrepreneurial community. Um, a lot of people who've started and sold major businesses um, or still running major businesses. Um, actually, I'm trying to get the, uh, one of the co-founders of Hotels Tonight. Um, he lives here in Bend, um, big mountain biker, and I'm eventually going to get him on the show. Um, he's working on some other stuff, so I'm really excited about that. But, you know, they sold Airbnb. He is a success story, a Silicon Valley success story. Um, yet, those people are here. The big difference, and I think like you pointed out, is that they're not obsessed with this is, this my entire life is defined by me working and me talking about work and me focusing on work and doing nothing but that. And until, like the, the number of people that you meet just randomly, like you'll meet you know, parents at your kid's school that are just entrepreneurs or programmers or started multiple companies and doing some really crazy cool stuff. Um, it's a really cool group and community. Um, I had a uh, 100% agree with that. Um, I've been like, having being as well connected as I was in the Bay Area, a concern that I had was moving to Bend with a minuscule little community of people that I knew. It was probably five or six people that I knew when I came here. And it has been like remarkably pleasantly surprising to have come here and to have met all of those people that you're talking about um, that are entrepreneurs or investors or coders or whatever um, that like, it's they are they all share the same DNA, which is that they've got you know like good professional careers, um, but to your point, it's not what defines them. I uh, I have a friend who he was born and raised in the Bay Area. His whole family is generations of being involved in the whole Silicon Valley tech world. Mm -hmm. uh, he and his wife moved to New York, and he called me and said, "The best thing about New York is that." Um, not only are there a bunch of tech douchebags, but there's also banker douchebags. Uh, <laughs> and he, it was like just the fact that there was some diversity. Yeah. Um, and it sort of goes to the meat grinder thing that like, uh, you're, you're in this meat grinder and you don't know it. And it's like, um, to be able to, to be able to diversify his meat grinder to move to New York was his version of that. Mm, yeah. Um, and for you or I moving here to be able to, um, surround yourself with, with something other than work, it's it all circles back to that same thing, right? 
have you been able to start building those new connections here, start building your network in Bend locally, or are you still kind of just focused wherever it comes to? You know, our um, the va- all of our clients come to us by word of mouth referrals. It's like we're very fortunate for that. Yeah. Um, I've got a great network in... I'm, the, the short answer to your question is that I'm trying to figure it out. Mm. Uh, because I have as big of a network as I have in the Bay Area and because all of our clients come to us from referrals, I'm like trying to avoid bastardizing the people that I meet in Bend for some sort of like sales purpose or business purpose. For sure. Um, I would rather, it's almost like separating personal and professional a little bit. Yeah. Um, whereas if I can, so if I can meet people here and if there is a, if there is a way that there can be a mutual, mutually beneficial um, professional relationship, then bring it on, right? Of course. Yeah. Why would you not? Um, but I'm, I'm trying to first and foremost meet people on the personal front. Um, and if you can help, then yeah, exactly. But it's, you know, we're fortunate to have, uh, the network that we do in the Bay area. So it's not like, it's not like my business will fail if I don't meet a bunch of people that can become my clients here locally. Right. Yeah. Um, that said, you know, if someone wants to hire me, I'm not going to stop them, but I'm not, it's not, that's not the, the goal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if anyone ends up listening to this who does need your help, tell me a little bit about what your, your specialty is. Um, you know, what, what's your operating philosophy or your main focus for, you know, actual operation of the business? Sure. Um, so largely what we do is we place emerging leadership hires within, uh, growing venture funded tech companies. So the majority of the placements that we make, uh, this emerging leadership layer are like director, head of, and VP, sort of like the in-betweeners. You're not like a true proper C-suite executive, but we also don't do any like individual contributor staff level hiring. Yeah. Uh, so the, the easy example is a company goes and raises their series A and all of a sudden you're done, uh, you're done just writing code and you need to now like build a go-to market team and scale the business. And you need to hire a half dozen heads of heads of customer success, heads of sales, heads yeah. of marketing, heads of finance, heads of operation. Um, and those heads of are like this sort of player coach role. You don't need a chief marketing officer. You're a series A company. I can't, yeah. I can't afford to hire an ivory tower strategist. For sure. I need to hire like a in the trenches director head of that can like, can wear just, multiple hats. Exactly. You can, you can wear the strategy hat, but guess what? You're also going to be doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so we place that layer of leader across a couple of different verticals, um, largely with seed through series C funded companies. So it sounds like your your clients are where it starts is with the company. Then how do you, I mean, because this is, you're operating as a two-sided marketplace, but you're kind of taking the load of both sides. So helping the company and they might be your clients, but you also have to go find the right fit. Yeah, I mean, I... With the size of company that we are now, I've got 15 people on my team, uh, a couple that are focused on making sure that we've got enough clients that need our help. Um, and then I've got a staff of recruiters that are are focused purely on the delivery work and that when we engage in a search for a client that needs to hire a very specific profile, um, that's what our principal team does. Is like They're the experts on the sort of search and placement side. Uh, and that's 
that's the reason that we've got that team of research analysts that I was referring to that mm, like yeah. their job is to go through the research and marking ma market mapping exercise to identify, you know, who the most highly qualified people are for any specific job. Mm -hmm. um, so you're right that we are the matchmaker, right? We need to find clients and we also need to find candidates. Um, similar to what I was saying earlier in hiring people that are better at things than I am. Uh, I'm fortunate to, to have a team of badasses around me that, um, that are, you know, career retained search professionals that are doing the, the delivery work and making sure our clients are happy. Nice. And they can bring their own experience and knowledge and help you kind of build that domain knowledge. And yeah. there's a, there's a little bit of an art to, to the recruiting game, right? There's, there's some sort of fundamentals that you need to have to be successful, but there's also a artistic, you know, ability to everyone can do it their own way. And so I'm certainly not building a company of people that I need to train to be good. I'm just hiring people that, that are already good and, um, know how to do their thing and everyone can learn from each other and share their own best practices, but then sort of take it into their own world and, and do it the way that they, they want to do it. Yeah. Um, so you said you, your, your main focus kind of that series a, and, you know, plus or minus, you know, along that spectrum, do you ever work with like, uh, actual VCs or people in the funding space to help say, Hey, these companies that we invested in need help, like bring you in? Yes, I mean, all day long. The The referrals that we get, I don't know, probably half of them come from deal partners or uh, talent partners in venture. Um, we've done, I mean, we're working right now on the COO for a venture fund internally, like hiring a head oh. of operations for the VC. Um, and so we work with them as our clients in that sort of instance, um, but Typically what happens when a VC deploys money and invests in a company that, you know, the reason they're giving you that money is to go further develop the company. And yeah. a big part of that is hiring a team to grow the business uh, and being a trusted partner to, to VCs is a big part of my, my job because like they're the ones that, um, that when we're when we're doing a good job, we're, we're putting good talent into uh, a VC's investment and increasing the value of their investment. Yeah. Um, so there's certainly a lot of alignment between, uh, I mean, all the VC relationships I have are some of the most important, so for sure. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and, you know, I've, I've, I have a lot of thoughts and questions and things as I've been exploring this space about that VC world. Um, and it definitely seems like there's some really great VCs and some not so great VCs, probably not the space with this conversation to get too deep into that, but are there any situations, I'm curious, are there any situations in your business where you say no to anyone? Yeah, I mean, the so we were talking before, uh, before we started recording here about the idea that um, there is a sort of like prototype persona of what it means to be a successful Silicon Valley entrepreneur, right? Yeah. You have to have gotten your MBA from Stanford. You have to have slept on your friend's couch. You have to work 90 hours a week. Yeah. Um, and eat nothing but ramen. Exactly. You got to have the ramen budget. Um, and my moving to Bend is an easy example of the fact that I don't buy into that. Yeah. Um, where I'm going with that, you asked a question about do we turn people away? Um, there are many CEOs that uh, feel like they, like my job is not 
my, my job, I'm not a magician, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, what we do is we work with clients to help them understand the market and who we're able to attract to their companies, right? Um, but if you have a, a crappy technology product that's being invested in by third tier VCs and a narcissist for a CEO, you're not going to get top tier talent if you have crappy investors and shitty technology, yeah. right? And so when you're on the phone with a prospective client and he's telling you about this shitty product um, and they've got one month of burn and they're about to go out of business and everyone's quitting and, and he and then that same CEO tells you that he wants, uh, you know, he is only going to take engineers from Google and Uber uh, and they have to be, a, you know, 4.0 from Stanford or wherever. Um, there's plenty of people that like. I would. I am better off by saying no to them. Yeah. Um, because again, my job is not to be a magician, but to like help them navigate the market. It's also your own reputation, for sure. Right. Yeah. Hundred percent. We go back to the VCs that we work with. That like, it is not in my best interest to sign up for a hospital pass of a client if I'm not going to be able to be successful in helping them mm-hmm. like make a hire, and it's going to, to your point, reflect poorly on me. Um. So I would very much. I would very much. I avoid them at all cost, and I'm like actually very um, pleased with being at a point in my career that um, you can feel like when I was early on in my career, like you would sign up with an asshole client because you didn't know any better, and because there's this sense that you like have to, because um, you're in this like building phase, and then you get to a point in your career where. Um, you you've been burned enough times and you know a good client from a bad client and that you're better off just saying no um and i probably have learned that lesson a few too many times over but i'm happy to have it ingrained in me now yeah so just out of curiosity don't have to name names or if you want to skip this one that's fine but who do you find to be the most unreasonable or or unreasonable expectations um just in general, is it like you, you do you see a lot of CEOs who just have unreasonable expectations of what the market's going to deliver? Does it come from the VC side? Does it come from the candidate side where they have unreasonable expectations about what they should get? Yeah, I mean, it's a really there's not really a broad stroke answer that I think is a one size fit all to that to that question. Um, there are plenty of first time CEOs that are humble and realistic, uh, and then there's plenty of first time CEOs that think that they're going to get the, um, you know, Stanford MBA guy that is going to want to leave his $400,000 a year job at Google and take a job from him for, you know, 50 K plus a, <laughs> plus a dream, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that exists uh, on both sides for a first time CEO. The same thing is actually true for a second or third time CEO that like, because that CEO has seen success in the past, they now expect everyone should want to work with them, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I talked with this one CEO, uh, God, it was years ago, but he was like, I'm the only CEO you're ever going to meet who's worked with both uh, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg. And I'm like, good for you. Like, I, you're an asshole and no one wants to work with you. So like, <laughs> yeah. like, and it doesn't mean your current yeah. this is going to actually yeah. succeed. It's, um, yeah, it wasn't Bill Gates. It was Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs. He was like, I'm the only CEO that that's worked with, uh, only seen the CEO in the Valley that's worked with both of them, reported directly to both of them. And I'm like, that doesn't make, make you a good guy. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. Interesting. 
Um, so kind of last question to, to wrap up this part of it. Um, has this current, like, obviously we're going through a, a nice little downturn right now. Um, we got the crypto winner that's affecting the whole, you know, general economic sense. We got all the inflation that happened from, um, you know, COVID and all of that, that's kind of affecting the overall economy. But there's so many other signs that the economy is great. Like you just keep hearing about how many job openings there are. Um, but it seems like there's a little bit of a mismatch between the number of job openings, but also the types of jobs and what people are willing to take. Because there's obviously some kind of conflict going there. Are you noticing that in your kind of top level recruiting? Or is that more kind of on the yeah. normal job level? Uh, it's a combination of not just... Um... You know, there's this bloated, this bloated, um, all these companies that had wildly high valuations and were going through crazy hiring sprees over the last 36 months, and that now things have slowed down and sort of like separating the wheat from the chaff or, you know, the men from the boys or whatever analogy you want to you mm-hmm. use that um, companies that are fundamentally strong are, um, you know, like being impacted less than companies that had, you know, flawed businesses, but, you know, wildly high valuations. Um, and so it's, it's a combination of that sort of that bull market that we just got done with along with COVID now shaping everything and turning, turning many, many, many more companies into being remote friendly. And ultimately the combination of that is that it's now not just Bay area hiring, but you can hire anywhere in the country Mm -hmm. and you now have companies that have shed a bunch of weight. And so you have a bunch of candidates all across the country that are looking for work. Uh, we're. We're fortunate doing leadership hiring that like top tier talent is still hard to find for the head of and VP search work that we do. Um, there's a very specific intersection that for any project they're trying to navigate, which is like a very specific point on your sort of career trajectory and seniority, along with it being a leadership role. And there's a certain amount of domain expertise that you're going to need with the business model or the space or the vertical or the whatever. Uh, and so for the types of search work that we do, there might be a whole hell of a lot more candidates on the market. And you now have this nationwide candidate pool because everyone's remote. But because we're, we're looking for this very specific profile, um, it still takes a hell of a lot of work to go get it. So we're, we're fortunate in our sort of positioning and market and the types of recruiting that we do, the types of projects that we work on, that um, we, we there is still the need for our service because it is this like very specific research project that needs to get done. Not to mention the fact that, um, you know, Silicon Valley in general is just, just insulated um, against recessions more than most other places because, you know, VCs need to deploy their money. <laughs> they, and, they do. And there's a lot out there to deploy. Yeah. And then once, once the VCs deploy their money and those companies are burning it, so you need to spend it or you're going to sort of like wither and die over time. Um, and so, you know, we're fortunate, we're fortunate in that regard that, um, that we're, our service is still needed and companies are still receiving checks. Uh, and so it allows us to sort of weather the storm better than, um, better than, you know, other industries or other markets or whatever, which yeah. is, I'm very grateful for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I think I don't have any, uh, other questions. Is there anything that you wanted to go over or anything you thought about that, Want to discuss? I don't think so. I mean, uh, I would certainly 100% agree with you. We were talking about earlier that uh, that there is 
There's nothing wrong with being a workaholic if you want to be a workaholic, if you're passionate about being a workaholic. Yeah. Um, I think my own personal learning lesson is that, like, uh, that's not for me and that I love what I do, but it's not the thing that defines me. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if if you can simultaneously, you know, be proud of the service that you provide and be proud of the team that you have and the clients that you have and the work that you do, um, that, like, you can be proud of what you do and not need to do it a hundred hours a week. Yeah. Um, and that's, a that's an important realization that I think I'm, I'm still working to like fully absorb and, and develop into myself. Cause for the, I mean, my first job out of college, uh, our working hours were seven 30 to five 30 every day. And that was just it. Yeah. And it's like, that's when you need to be in the office and that's when you need to leave. Um, and to similar to the point that I was making earlier about, um, you know, like to be at a point in your career where you've learned that you don't need to say yes to every client and that you're better off saying no to to a landmine of a client or a hospital pass. Yeah. The same thing is true navigating that work-life balance thing that, you know, um, if you love it, then do it. Um, but like, I didn't have the choice when I was 23 to like decide what my working hours were. Yeah, most of us don't. <laughs> and so to, to now, you know, sort of comes with, you know, wisdom from age or whatever, but um to be able to take a look back and to sort of to be able to make a conscious decision yeah is i think the important the important realization that i've come to well that's great and that you know i think you're you're a prime example of this idea that i've been trying to explore and will continue to try to explore of like you know i think by any legitimate means you've been very successful at what you've wanted to do not just in the fact that you have been able to hire a team that loves to do what they do and will fall, you know, are, are helping you grow your business and obviously passionate about it. Um, and providing a, a big part for me is when, why I love startups specifically around a product or service that provides great value to the people who you touch. Um, and I think that's obviously the case, you know, uh, even more so than, you know, a lot of tech products out there where you're actually like one-on-one -on -one helping people get in, a job that they're going to love and they're going to be able to provide value to a company and kind of goes up the chain. Um, and then just the idea that you kind of bootstrap this thing yourself and, uh, you know, took the plunge, which I know a lot of people are kind of scared to do, but regardless of what you're into, you know, doing the pre-work and then making that decision and really going for it and prime example of kind of what that success can look like while also not working a hundred hours a week and you have a family that you care about and, brought them to Ben's because you obviously want them to have a good quality of life as well. So there was a, uh, there was a, I hosted a conference last year and uh, one of the speakers, this guy, Sebastian, he quoted someone, I can't remember who the, who the person was that he quoted. Um, but the quote uh, that Sebastian said was, uh, we all have two lives to live and your second life starts the moment you realize that you only have one life to live. Ooh, that's a great one. It was like pretty powerful, right? Yeah, I'm gonna mark that um, down. And the point there is that, like, as it relates to like you know, jumping out of the trust tree and going to start your own company, you're like, what is the actual worst case scenario here? Let's say that this thing flops. What's worst worst case scenario? You gave it a good try. You missed out on a couple of years of a salary, and then you go get another job somewhere. Yeah, like that. Really, not that bad, is it? Yeah. Um, my point there is that it was like there is some stress that comes with jumping out of the trust tree. Um, everyone is so focused on the stress 
because they don't heed that that advice, that saying yeah. that like you only have one chance at it, and you you're so debilitated by the the stress and the pressure of the what if, but you only concern yourself with the negative side. For sure. Um, I would urge people that are like you know reweight that and spend a little bit more time focusing on the positive as well. Yeah. Um, because well, the backstop's not that far away. You know. Yeah. Well, and I think there's there is a really you know listen up, kids. There's a very important lesson in here. <laughs> Um, but I think one way that people can address that in their own mind that they don't necessarily think about that I think you did a, a really good job of is putting in that pre-work, you know, it, it's the idea of being prepared, you know, the more prepared you are, the lucky you are. Yeah. People always talk about, you know, preparedness and luck, you know, oh, you, you succeeded. You, there's a lot of luck that goes into it. Well, you put in the pre-work. So when you actually made that jump, you could focus on the positive because you did the work. Um, and that, I think that's a big thing is, you know, the lesson there is definitely focus on the positive. Definitely make those leaps if you feel like you want to, if that's going to increase your happiness and that's what you want to do in life and that's what you're passionate about. But also just, you know, get prepped for it. Make sure that you're prepared to be lucky and that you're prepared to grab the bull by the horns and grab that success when it comes at you and not just focus on the negative. Hundred percent. My uh, my guitar teacher. He said, you know, like someone, some lady came up to him. And was like, oh my god, you're so lucky. You're so good at guitar. And he's like, lady, I've been playing guitar like a thousand hours a year for my entire life. This is not luck. This yeah. is called preparation. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I hundred percent agree. Great. So uh, last thing I want to do. I've been trying to kind of implement this on a couple, but um, I, I stole this from another podcast, um, a fitness podcast that I listen to. Um, but doing like a Rapid fire questions at the end. So just kind of top of your mind, first thing that comes to mind. Uh, favorite thing to do in bed so far? Uh, El Sancho burrito. Nice. <laughs> That's a really solid one. Um, you drink beer? Yes. Favorite beer in bed? Oh, Jesus. Favorite beer in bed? I don't know that I have a favorite beer specifically. Or brewery. Yeah, go, 10 Barrel is it's a block from our house, and it's like the easy, we have a babysitter for a couple hours, just walk, go up a beer, relax, good people watching on um, whatever that street is. Uh, you on the west side? Yeah. Galveston. Galveston, that's it. Yep. Uh, go to outdoor activity. Uh, it was mountain biking. I'm very excited to go skinning for the first time tomorrow. Nice. Um, since we've only been here for three months, uh, I'm a road cyclist much more than a mountain biker and so uh doing laps from my house up skyliners was how i spent the majority of my time um but i've got a a small sample size there because it was only sunny for a month before before snow came <laughs> yeah well uh we'll keep in touch and then uh, next summer I'll, I'll take you out and show you all the mountain biking spots i'd welcome that man That's yeah great. um where would you be if you weren't bent back in marin um back home yeah i mean like i said at the beginning i uh we fell into this place, you know, and so we weren't actively trying to leave. Um, so we'd probably just be sitting back in the meat grinder. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what would you be doing if not talent acquisition? If you could choose now knowing like, you know, everything that you do know, if, you, uh, if this somehow ended today, what would you be doing? You know, if I played the, if money were no object game and what would I just do to spend my time? Uh, I would probably be woodworking. Oh, nice. Yeah. I've like got a couple of pieces at my house that I've made and that like I love. Um, but having a four year old and a two year old in a business that I run, it's not something that I have much time for these days. 
I, uh, I understand that. And so if uh, if I was ever fortunate enough to get to play the If Money Were No Object game, yeah, um, yeah, I'd probably open a little woodworking shop and, you know, sell shit at the farmer's market. I don't know. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Um, all right. Well, uh, any final thoughts? Where can people find you? When should they reach out if they if they need something? Yeah, if you're if you're hiring your team or uh, on the job market, it's just Jamie at Guild Talent G U I L D Talent dot com. So that's awesome. I'd appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you very much. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate it. That's that was awesome. awesome.